This episode of Clear and Vivid with Henry Schleif is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Discovery. For more than 30 years, Discovery's global networks have been helping hundreds of millions of viewers understand their lives, their communities, and the world around them. From science and nature to food and lifestyle, and now the world's biggest sporting events and greatest names in travel and documentary films, the Discovery family proudly informs, entertains, and powers the passions that drive our planet. I'm Alan Alda, and this is Clear and Vivid, conversations about connecting and communicating. The ability to communicate in this world, communicate effectively, is so important. It's more important than being a brain surgeon, because really, how many people can a brain surgeon save in a, in a career? 100, 500, 5,000? But in communication, entertainment, print, digital, you can affect the lives, you can influence people, millions of people, you can inform, you can inspire people around the world. What greater career could you possibly have than something in some form of communications? We make a distinction around here between communication and communications with an S. The way we look at it, communicating is connecting with people And communications with an S is the technical way you reach out to millions, like with broadcasting. Some people find ways to combine those two ideas in ways that are interesting, like my old friend Henry Schleif. Henry happens to work for Discovery, but before they ever became our presenting sponsor, I wanted to talk to him on our show, because he has a thoughtful, funny angle on communication that we haven't explored yet. Henry, the thing that I love about you, one of the things I love about you, is that you've perfected the art of doing well while doing good. I mean, you're, you're in charge of several networks, and your job is to bring in the viewers. And if you wanted to, you could just go for the profit. But I, I'm, I'm also aware that you, you make sure you do specials on serious, important topics that improve our lives. Am I right? Well, you're certainly right in terms of the effort, for sure. I mean, I, you know, I've been in this business for quite a while now, and it, in some respect, it's it's a privilege almost to have the access to the number of listeners or viewers that you have at any cable network. So, how, what access do you have? How many homes are you in right now? In just domestically in the United States, we pass about 82 million homes, and around the world, probably in total, about 140 million homes with uh, ID network. And the fun of an ID network is that it's obviously about true crime stories and what have you, but it gives you a platform. And it gives you a platform that from time to time, you can actually do something, produce something. Like what? What have you done? What are some of the shows you've done? A ton of programming in terms of the the, uh, programming that I'm most proud of. And and in some cases, we've actually won a Peabody for programs around domestic violence, Mm. civil rights, human rights activism. We can't do that as a steady diet. Yeah. But when you can sort of integrate it in from time to time, then I think people really will be impressed by it. And I think it's part of uh, the license almost that we have. 
The license you have comes from the popularity of the, these crime shows, some of the most imaginative names in television for your series. Yeah. I'm aware of Wives with Knives. Always a popular one, for sure. Sinister Minister, Southern... <laughs> <laughs> Wait, these are real shows. Oh, we look. Southern Fried Homicide? <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what other titles do you... Well, you know, we, we do these titles from time to time that are so far over the top, for sure. You know, all variations on eyewitness and what have you. We do these uh, to really get attention. It's so noisy out there, as you know, whether it's a movie or a television series that's coming. So how do you get attention? And part of the ability to break through and grab people is something that's re reasonably clever title. As you know, my wife, Arlene, yeah. loves every one of your shows. She's a, a, a crime in, crime television enthusiast. I would be very nervous if I was you. Well, if she's watching, thing. If she's taking notes while well, she's he, watching. He, he, that's what I'm worried about. Yeah. Because she likes to go to sleep with the television going. Yeah. And I'm not a big fan of that. But I can't tell her to turn it off because she's watching Wives with Knives. Yeah, no, that's if she goes right to the kitchen after an episode... <laughs> I'd get the hell out of there in a moment. <laughs> what I, I, I want to know what the what the uh, pitch session is like in your office when people are sitting around thinking, "What's our next title?" Yeah, no, it's 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 completely dysfunctional. I mean, people <laughs> ask us. It's basically twenty five, thirty people sitting around a table and yelling random things that come to mind. So we come out of it with some incredible dialectic representing the worst ideas possible. But when you put them together in a variation on words and stuff, it kind of works. So what what are some you've rejected? Can you think of any? Oh, my gosh. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, well, one of my favorites was um, about women who fall in love or have relationships with people in prison. And the title was going to be Penal Envy. <laughs> We have, obviously, How no standards and practices. <laughs> yeah, no standards. Not only have no standards and practices, you have no standards. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> that, uh, we actually flipped that person over to help, help us with titles or so. So, um, yeah, no, there is pretty much no bounds. But, you know, I, I, all seriously, more seriously, we have to understand that we're dealing, you know, oftentimes with really significant, oftentimes sad stories. So there is a respect that we have to bring to these shows. We try to do on-air stuff with a little wink sometimes to our audience, but we have to, you have to be respectful of these are often very, very tragic stories. Yeah, of course. And the appeal, I'm, I'm always thinking in terms of communication. Yeah. The appeal to the audience you know, crime story. Yeah. What, what do you suppose that is? I, I find them interesting because I, I want to see the bad guy get caught. I want to know what the circumstances well, were you, that you took know what? them apart. You, you have uh, on, this, on this series of podcasts, you've talked about the importance of listening and of empathy, both of which all we actually employ, we use quite heavily in our research and what shows we're going to do. We listen to our audience. Mm. Meaning that um, we've learned over the years, for example, they're not so interested in the specifics of the actual crime scene as they are in the investigation. Mm. Not so much in the tragedy, but they want to understand from the perspective either of the victim or the victim's family. 
So you start with that. You start with that learning how important the investigation is rather than the crime itself, number one. And also, you know, we have the benefit of stories that have the high stakes, generally speaking, of life and death. And that was the success of Sherlock Holmes, was the investigation. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. You, you the intricacy. Now, today we use words like forensics and what have you and science and technology. But our audience, which is really a fanatically dedicated audience, loves the the puzzle solving. And that's what we hear. We mm. hear that term. It's like solving puzzles for us. It's interesting. I, I One of the works uh, of a scientist in Switzerland that interests me a lot is studies he did that showed that the, uh, the pleasure areas in the brain uh, are activated mm -hmm. when we punish someone for a wrongdoing. And I... I'm wondering, did you get any uh, any indication of something like that in your research, that they want to see the bad guy caught and serve his time? Absolutely. I mean, what's very interesting is what we call it, the, the importance of a story coming to a natural conclusion, to closure. Mm. In a world in which we live in, which is a very confusing world today, and oftentimes the Bad people don't get their just desserts, and good people don't get the recognition. So when we can tell a story with a beginning, middle, and an end that satisfies people, which is basically good storytelling, and when we do it in the context of a justice system, people feel rewarded for that. So you're absolutely right. In a world that is confusing and somewhat tumultuous, when we can turn to somebody and say, this person did a bad thing, but in the end, that person got his or hers just desserts. I'm very interested in storytelling, mm -hmm. and you tell stories by the dozens, and you've thought about it a lot, and you just mentioned the beginning, the middle, and the end, which is how stories are often described. I, I'm uh, very curious about how good storytellers deal with the middle part. What what's the, what's the middle part to you? I have my own ideas. I'll tell you about that in a minute. But I want to hear your ideas. Well, it's uh, it's the hardest thing in the world, I think, or one of the hard things really is. You know, you say funny is funny. A good story is a good story. It is very hard to bridge that grab your by the neck beginning with that satisfying end. So the trouble or the the challenge is connecting those two with an interesting middle. And the way we try to do it is create some tension some emotion, some sense of compassion for the victim or what's going on, something that connects those two. So here's something that interests me a lot about the middle part of the thing, which mm -hmm. is what I learned. Actually, I learned it in real life acting on the stage. And I later read that Aristotle had identified this when he was figuring out what made a play a good play. So what he talked about was dramatic action, that there's something in the middle part of the story where the hero can't get to the conclusion that will be satisfying because there's this obstacle thrown in his path by the bad person or by some, some, some circumstance. Exactly. So getting through that obstacle captures our attention. We want the hero to get through the obstacle somehow. And I noticed when Don Hewitt, who invented 60 Minutes, made storytelling his main objective, he would tell his producers... Four, he said, I told them four words, tell me a story. The way he handled the middle 
typically I observed, I don't know if he was aware of this, he must have been aware of it, was that the story would shift gears in the middle. You'd, you'd suddenly realize, oh, I thought this was about an investigation about this, but look, it's even deeper than that. It's an investigation about this, and it's affecting this person in a whole unexpected way. Do you find a shift like that happens in your middle? A- absolutely. Again, I'd like I, to hear more about your middle. No, <laughs> I, I, it's far more interesting than my ends. But the way the actions of that individual or what we call in the way we do it, it would be red herrings. It would mm. be something that ah, would took you to yes, the left or yes, to the right. Yeah, yeah. Just when you thought yeah. you knew who did it, all of a sudden the DNA proved that he was innocent or and what that's when you. we cut to commercial. And that's, <laughs> and we hold you. And you know, you laugh, we cut to commercial, but ID has the longest length of tune of any any uh, network tune, anywhere. Tune, meaning, meaning they people stay watch tuned. Yeah, people stay tuned for longer periods of time than any other network. And the reason is because those middles, yeah. we leave you waiting for more. So people actually wait for the other part after the commercial spot. That's really interesting. You've got you've 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 analyzed it so thoroughly. I'm I'm so impressed by that. Well, uh, it's uh, I have a team that stands for nothing else other than correcting me half mm-hmm. of the time. I love uh, the people that I work with. I really enjoy working with them. Um, I, you know, I think part of uh, succeeding in any business, but especially perhaps in the in the one that we're in, is good management. Yeah, and and which is really uh, not to oversimplify it, but it often comes down to, frankly, um, setting a good example, mm-hmm. um, being enthusiastic, having the energy, reflecting the empathy, really, really um, rewarding success. I don't. It's not that we haven't had our failures, but I think sometimes rewarding success is undervalued, is and understated. How do you how do you go about that with? Uh, um, I can't wait to words, send notes words around. Words or money? Words. I mean, words are. <laughs> we've run out of money about two years ago, so we're down to words. A lot of great words. <laughs> yeah, you laugh, but you, I'm not sure we're getting the same reaction. <laughs> from, yeah, no, don't worry. Nobody yeah. will listen to this. <laughs> no, you you. Well, you know something. Sometimes I don't think words replace money for sure in the marketplace. But, you know, very few people that I know wake up in the morning thinking about the money. I think they wake up thinking, is this going to be a fun day? Will it be interesting? Do I like the people I'm hanging out with? Will I be challenged? Will I be this? Will I be that? You come home, did I add something to it? I can't wait for tomorrow. I've got a different idea. Let's spin it. So the enthusiasm has to be infectious. Mm-hmm. And and I, I certainly feel that way. I, every day, not that it's a game, but every day you try to move the ball a little bit forward and you try to share that with your team. And I listen, I also recognize how much better they are in any number of ways, whether it's coming up with titles, saying no to projects I might have incorrectly said yes to, saying yes to the ones that you actually see, developing the ones that we see, and making them better, and most of all, or additionally, marketing them, getting them out there, telling you, the viewer, that these are... So all of those skills are... I have people who are better at them than me. I'm an editor. 
I'm not a writer in the sense that I'll look at their thoughts and say, what if we did this? Or if, what if we spun it that way? Or does it really, should it end? And maybe sometimes just asking those questions or, or with minor suggestions, sometimes it actually improves the process. But it's a very collective process. That, to me, is, is, is good management. I, I think it's a, a, a tremendously underrated skill, I think, in this day and age, to admit what you don't know mm. and to have people around you and to be supportive of them. I, I think in general, in, in life, and maybe in management too, people are reluctant to admit that they don't know something or that somebody knows more about it or has better insight into a problem than they do. We're afraid somebody else is going to subdue us with their, with their expertise. Uh, you know, it takes, uh, what, what is it? Uh, I mean, the good news is William Goldman always said, no one knows anything about this business. Yeah, I, you know, I, w- I, was, I was the proof in yeah, his book. Well, we, he, he used as an we, example that nobody we, knows anything, we, the fact that one of my movies was successful. <laughs> is, uh, that's a perfect example. Yes, I saw. Thanks for bringing that yeah, no, I, he was a great fan of yours, I know. <laughs> I know. He was actually speaking to you. Get out said, of town. No, definitely. But it's always been somewhat um, inspirational to me to understand that no one knows anything because the, the good side, bad side of it is that probably no one knows anything better than you, so it should give you some confidence that your thoughts or suggestions are not completely out of line. On the other hand, I think if you temper it with the experience of other people um, and their thoughts and their research and the fact that these people are professionals and in some cases are passionate about the content or have been doing it for a while, mm. you put those two together and th- there's probably something there. Do you, how do you mentioned confidence a second ago. Right. Do you ever find that there are people you have to help be more confident? You know, um, uh, yes. I've always tried to give people the confidence that I, I, I don't. I, I haven't in all my years in this. I don't think I've quote fired more than five people in in my entire career. People have left to go to other jobs and for a variety of reasons and moved and what have you. But I always believe and uh, that. Uh, people really know what the heck they're doing. If you just redirect them a little bit or if you ask them or if you get their thinking and what have you, um, maybe you can improve it. But I, uh, I think having people confident about what they're doing enables them to do their best. What is it? My, 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 my best friend is the one who brings out the best in me. Mm. You try to be a best quote, unquote, best friend, you'll get unbelievable results from people. That sounds very encouraging. And you, you, you're, you're a much more encouraging person than I ever thought you were. Don't get me wrong. This is all, I mean, I, we said earlier about some of the more noble things and important things and inspiring things we can do. I mean, I really do. We can make a profit and make a difference at the same time. But how do you do that when you have to make your voice heard amid the clutter of so many ways we have now to be entertained, informed, and inspired? And how do you talk to several cultures at the same time when we come back after this short break? Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. 
On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone, in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. This is Clear and Vivid, and now back to my conversation with Henry Schleif. You talked a little bit before about the way the audience has been fragmented. Do you think it's also fragmented the supply of differing points of view? I'm talking in a, in a cultural sense now because we can we can listen to something so specifically tuned to our wants, to our regular way of thinking, that we're liable to run the risk of totally ignoring opposing points of view. When you're in a meeting, you've described to, to me how you want to hear opposing points of view. And yet, as uh, uh, entertainment consumers and information consumers, we're tending apparently less and less to hear the opposing point of view. Well, I think you you make a really uh, good point about the different forms um, of listening, if you will. And you've spoken before in this series about the secret value, if you will, in communication of listening. Mm. And I think there's, to me at least, I think there's two kinds of listening, I think. I, for just purposes of my own understanding, I kind of call it active or passive listening. And active listening is what most of us do in a conversation, I think, or in a meeting or what have you. Because when you're speaking, I'm kind of thinking about what I'm going to say in response. Mm. I'm some trying to fashion a rebuttal, or I agree vehemently with you, or I disagree and how I'm going to, but I'm thinking about uh, my response to you, which is somewhat active. On the other hand, in a podcast, if you will, as a listener, which I think is so helpful, is that you are, by definition, more passively listening to it. You're really listening to the information because no one is going to grab you through that radio <laughs> and say, well, what do you think? So you have the comfort, the confidence of saying, wait a second, this is cool. I can sit here and actually listen and benefit and learn or you, be entertained by this. You don't have to this. prepare a rebuttal. I don't have to prepare a rebuttal. So this is truly entertaining. I think it's important to understand those two different, dramatically different kinds of listening. But if you're only listening to what you agree with or to one kind of entertainment and not you, you, you're listening to or you're watching hockey. I'm listening to you. I'm ready to rebut oh, what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, no. yeah, good. No, but it's not only listening to what you agree with. No, it's in fact, as you, you're, li I mean, I'm in this, especially in this world of the political environment we're in, half of what you're listening to, you can't wait to say that's the craziest, that's the stupidest, yeah. that's the most dishonest thing I've ever heard. Right. No matter which side you're on, yeah. you're, you're ready to, you, you have the, you have a set of facts yes. that you value that rebuts what you're hearing. Exactly from, right. Whether, whether yeah. Didn't we used to get a, a a a different mix of points of view? Maybe maybe that maybe that's a mistaken idea. Maybe we're looking at the past with golden with the rosy glasses. No, I I mean I I think right now it's become so cacophonous out there. It's so noisy out there that um, I, I in a strange way with all of the ability to listen to different points of view, we feel disconnected. 
I think technology today, which you would think by virtue of the internet and what have you, and whether your ability to tweet and, and, and communicate so quickly and effectively, has disconnected us, mm. I think. And so when you can sit and enjoy something, either in a theater or in a collective atmosphere at home with your family, um, it's refreshing. It's different. We, we, we as a society have, I don't think, both politically and in a variety of other ways, certainly communication-wise, have ever been more than disconnected. We've never been more, more, discon- disconnected. more disconnected than we are now. Yeah. What do you think we can do about that? I mean, here we have yeah. an, an enormously complex delivery system of information and entertainment. What can those of us who are in the field do to be a, a, a more responsible, more more helpful in how we deliver those things? I think we have to be careful. I think we have to understand now that everybody has left the green room and everybody has a show. Yeah. Everybody, really? <laughs> you know, there are 600,000 podcasts. Are there really? Yeah. You're kidding me. I, I'm, I'm amazed how fast that whole industry has evolved. Well, just think about... When you say podcast, the ability with people to tweet and have followers or on Facebook, everybody has some form now of displaying their Instagram pictures. Well, Facebook gives everybody a publication. Everybody has a front page on the Internet. Okay, so now that everybody is in the entertainment or information business, which has never been the case before, we only had access to a film with you in it. Now, we make home films, we do whatever. I think we have to ultimately understand, and and it's not an easy answer, but we have to understand what that means to us. And maybe we have to be a little bit respectful of the messages coming in and the messages that we send out. And I think that's really, this is all new to us. We are a generation that is only 15, 20 years into the benefits and maybe detriments of this dangers in any case. Absolutely. Let me ask you about your own personal habits. Oh, not that. Yes. I think <laughs> Great. I think the world would really like I'd to know. I plead the fifth right there. <laughs> right. So hard well, to get my lawyer into this little room. <laughs> Let me just start by saying I didn't do whatever you're going to say. <laughs> I want to Probably. know. Probably. Entertainment has changed in a very interesting way. So I, I want to know, do you binge? No, uh, 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 no, I, I'm, I'm a mini binger. So well, what do you mean? Um, I can only last for maybe two or three hours. Well, or so. uh, you have such a short attention <laughs> yes, span. Yes, exactly. I can go 17, 18 hours. No, 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 no. There's just such extraordinary programming out there that you do really want to see. It's really else. good. I mean, they talk about golden ages. Did you can you almost can't fail to find something really interesting. Well, that that as I said, that's both the good news and the bad news here. You can't find whatever your passion may be, if it's true crime or if it's history or if it's adventure or if it's a lifestyle, um, you can't fail to, or just fundamentally great storytelling that's scripted or unscripted. There's a million, several places you can go for it. The question really is, how do you keep up? How do you how do you know one from the other? It's a word of mouth business to some extent. How many times have we been out where you've said, "Did you see this series?" and you end up writing it down? And- I, I, you know, it, it, never in my life until now, yeah, have I had the experience regularly of friends my age, a table full of adults at yeah. dinner, trading ideas on what to binge on. Yeah. 
and everybody's curious. Oh, whoa, give me what's the name of that? Where do I get it? Yeah. What, you know, yeah. It, it's it's such a common experience now to talk. Once in the fifties, they said, "Have you read any good books lately?" Yeah, yeah. Then right. in the sixties yeah. and seventies, they said, "Have you seen any good movies lately?" Now they say, "What are you binging on?" I mean, listen, there's arguments both ways about the water cooler benefits of knowing that that next episode is going to come next week. The whole idea of binging is you don't we don't have to wait till next I week. I understand that. That's a whole other way of looking at, yeah. at things. I mean, listen, there's there's interest in both ways of doing it. I I, I under, certainly understand the binging, but in most cases, our audience wants a story that is told in in basically 60 minutes. That's interesting. What is there about your audience that's different from the the people who are flooding to bingeable stories? That's very interesting. Have, do you, have you seen any difference among those those segments? No, I don't think. I, I think it's. I think uh, her, uh, you know, Sertz uh, is a candy and a breath mint. <laughs> I think. I think people more flavor, love, less filling. You're, 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 exactly, I, we can speak in commercials. I don't terms. think you have to distinguish between. We can speak in commercials. Is exactly right. Yeah. Uh, I don't know where we are in the Alka Seltzer, but um, I think. <laughs> well, we, I ate the whole thing. <laughs> I can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if we're the only two people laughing yeah, right now. <laughs> two cars just went off the road somewhere. I know that. <laughs> we had to get away. Yeah, exactly. And if it's a crime, we'll cover it. Great. <laughs> where. Are we you on <laughs> you do the only person to, uh, almost the only person who brought notes of your own what what have what, what have i not asked you that you wished i asked you um what underlies all of i think uh, to some extent great binge viewing great storytelling true crime or scripted um p- part of it i think is the whole question of creativity what underlies all of these all of kinds these. of storytelling? Exactly. Where where is the creative? How where is the imagination? So uh, when you say the creative is essential, are you saying that the old technique of copying what's successful is maybe not the way to go? I don't, uh, you know, who Fred Allen said the uh, sincerest form of flattery is television. <laughs> That's funny. Or I, something I, like a that. A riff off the imitation. Yeah. And he's, I mean, listen, somebody else said originality is simply the art of hiding your sources. So I, all the variations on that theme, but, I, you know, in, in this world today where I think the breakout, and, and it, breakout ideas, whether they be in science, of which you've spent a good part of your life, or in entertainment, where you've spent another part of your life, if there's a common denominator between those two, the breakout, the, 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 the thing that moves something forward is something that comes out of completely left field, that is completely iconoclastic. Where, and I, I'm fascinated by that, where that creativity comes in. So how do you generate it? I mean, obviously, you're in the spot where you've got these people around you yeah. who can come up with ideas. How do you, how do you generate their creativity? How do you, how do you make it more active? I, you know, I wish there was a formula. I wish there was something I could say to you, well, we do it this way and that's uh-huh. the way. The answer is I don't think there is any one way. I think part of it may be to provide an environment. We're going back to where people feel confident in saying, this may be a crazy idea, but I love that. That's a great opening. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we may not be able to do this, You but... know, people are discouraged from saying that in order to be more effective in meetings. Yeah. Uh, especially uh, women are, are, are uh, advised not to say, 
that I may be wrong, but, or this may be a crazy idea. But it, it seems like everybody ought to be able to say that. I've had a lot of bosses over the years. And, and one of the people that I worked with way back when was, he was really, uh, really, really smart in a variety of ways, but knew nothing when he came in and took over the company. But he had this temerity to ask basic questions. Why, why do people advertise on television? And, and, uh, and, and do people actually watch ads and do they, and you would give the given wisdom as an answer. And then he would ask like Columbo, another question that would press you a little bit further until you finally began to question the given wisdom. Yeah. And that I think is something that we all have to do. We look at fundamentals and sometimes maybe the answer or the variation is right there in front of us. But I think the big discoveries perhaps in science or the big change in something in entertainment is sometimes something that may be near us, but we just haven't looked at in a way that actually takes advantage of I it. I think that's so important. I, ignorance is undervalued. Yes. Ignorance is really good if it's combined with curiosity. Einstein, of all people, said imagination is more important than knowledge. Right. Right. Einstein. I, yeah, I think he probably meant it's good to have some knowledge. I, I, I <laughs> think he was probably talking about his expense reports. <laughs> <laughs> but whatever got him there, <laughs> it certainly worked. Well, but the thing is, it, uh, the, the, one of the ways I interpret that, that saying of his is that it's not enough to have knowledge. If you have knowledge and then think of novel ways to use that knowledge, to, exactly. put, to put some part of your knowledge together with another part of your knowledge that nobody had ever thought of before, that's, that's creativity. I worked for another person who I, I mean, again, people that I have so benefited. This was a person, Dennis Gillespie, who passed away many years ago, but he was a head of marketing at Viacom. And all he would do would look at things in an upside down way. Mm. Just what if you thought it was bad news, he would say, this is great news because it's like improv when you yeah. add the word and. Yeah, a yes and. A yes and, except his yes and is, this is good news because. Yeah. And he would look at something and we would turn it on its head and out of that became either a different marketing plan or something really creative. I think that's, that's part of the ongoing fun in this business is to look at what you do and see if there's a novel way of doing it. Maybe it starts with a title. Maybe it starts with doing a show, which we've done completely backwards. Mm. Red Rum, one of our titles, which is murder spelled backwards. <laughs> we did the whole crime backwards, you actually. Did. How did that work? Uh, really confused the hell out of people. You started with the, uh, with the sentencing? Yeah. Well, basically, yeah, with the, with the person lying on the floor and then all of a sudden the glass behind it being broken, which was the guy actually going into the door and what have you. It, it worked in a very strange way. The commercials were terrific for it. <laughs> <laughs> they, did you play them backwards, too? Yeah, too, yeah. yeah. So we had people actually not buying. <laughs> I, this has been a wonderful conversation and has confirmed for me why I like you so much. You make me laugh and you make me think. And, and those are two things that I think should be done at the same time. And, and I do that with you. I, well, I, I'll return the favor. We've known each other for many, many, many years. It's not only, um, there's a, another great co quote, which I always like, and it was W.H. Wooden said, among the people I respect or admire, 
uh, there's no common denominator. But among the people I love, there is. They make me laugh. Yeah, I love that. I first read that in a, a talk you gave. Yeah, uh, W. H. Auden. I love that. that. Yeah. I love that quote. And I it's, do too. And it's so pertinent here because you, over the years, have not only made people laugh, but you've informed them in so many ways. I. I look at the relevance even today of a, of a something like MASH, which had which was not about the Korean War. It was about life's lessons. I look about some of the the, the the speeches that you did in West Wing that are so relevant today. You know, communication. I we didn't. One other note I I would say is that in this whole business, I, I want to underscore the importance actually, and I've said this before, of communication in all forms. Mm whether it's in entertainment, whether you are writing in any, whether it's for a, a podcast, whether it is old form newspapers or whether it is digital, the ability to communicate effectively is so important, is so important. I say it as a character a little bit. It's more important than being a brain surgeon. And I do that to get a rise because Really, how many people can a brain surgeon save in a, in a career? A hundred, five hundred, five thousand? But in communication, entertainment, print, digital, you can affect the lives. You can influence people, millions of people. You can inform, you can inspire people around the world, millions of people. What, what greater career could you possibly have than something in some form of communications. And I think a little bit of what you're doing in enabling people to, quote, tell a story more effectively, more dramatically, more clearly, uh, is really, really important. Well, one of the great things I get to do on this show is to talk to people like you who are expert at it and get more insight into it. And thank you for that, too. Before you go, though, as you, I'm sure you know, we ask our guests to answer seven quick questions oh, with seven quick answers. And uh, they're, they're not hard to, they're not intrusive, but they're a little bit about communication and relating. So here's the first question. What do you wish you really understood? Uh, why my dog looks at me <laughs> the way he does oftentimes, even after I've given him the first biscuit. Um, what do I, what do I, what well, do I well, want? That, that was good enough. Yeah, okay. That's, <laughs> that's a start right there. What do you wish other people understood about you? Um, I, I, uh, without, I'm fairly transparent. Um, so I think hopefully people understand that I'm trying to help them and help them help me. What's the strangest question anyone's ever asked you? The first two, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How do you stop a compulsive talker? Oh, that's great. I, uh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I don't know if you stop them, but you just generally repeat the last thing they say every now and then. It's, uh, it's like trying to put like a yellow barrel on a shark. I think it slows them down. <laughs> <laughs> An activity I've never engaged in myself. Yeah. No, in Jaws, I think. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, right. oh. Is there anyone for whom you just can't feel empathy, considering that empathy is just is not compassion, but just uh, trying to see their point of view? Is there anyone for whom you can't be bothered? And you don't have to name names. Uh, no, I mean, uh, the sad thing is I think you either have empathy or you don't, and it's hard to shut it off. 
so no, there's nobody for whom I would shut off the empathy. There's a ton of people, especially in this political environment, that I disagree with for sure. But it's not that I don't understand or feel where they're coming from. Okay. How do you like to deliver bad news? In person, on the phone, or by carrier pigeon? Largely through someone else. Yes, <laughs> wherever possible. <laughs> um, that, that's what, and, and like is the is the important word here. Everybody yeah. knows you're supposed to do it in person. Yeah, no, I I I don't like to uh, deliver it, but I guess you start with um, the cats on the roof. <laughs> yeah, right. It's a great joke. Yeah. We'll explain that in another podcast. Yeah. What, if anything, would make you end a friendship? And be careful here because we're friends. Yeah, no, uh, I, I guess, well, I guess, of course, if they had those pictures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, would that do it? That would definitely do it. <laughs> well, I just want you to know I'm going up on Twitter with one of them tomorrow. Uh-oh. End of friendship. <laughs> Henry, thank you. This has been so much thank fun. Thank you so much, Alan. This was fun and really informative. Thank you. Great questions. Thank you. This has been clear and vivid. At least I hope so. My thanks to Discovery for being our presenting sponsor this season. All the income from the ads you hear go to the Center for Communicating Science at Stony Brook University. Just by listening to this podcast, you're contributing to the better communication of science. So thank you. For more information about the Alda Center, please visit aldacenter.org. Henry Schleif's had a career as a writer, producer, and media executive. He's even written material for Saturday Night Live. Through it all, Henry is always focused on making an impact, both with his storytelling and with the people who work with him. And as far as I can tell, he has a lot of fun doing it. This episode was produced by Graham Shedd with help from our associate producer, Sarah Chase. Our sound engineer is Dan DeZula. Our tech guru is Allison Costin. And our publicist is Sarah Hill. You can subscribe to our podcast for free at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. For more details about Clear and Vivid and to sign up for my newsletter, please visit alanalda.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Clear and Vivid, and I'm on Twitter at Alan Alda. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Be sure to listen to our next conversation with Catherine Hayhoe, who is such an expert on what can make us feel better about the coming threat of climate change and the climate crisis. I came into the studio today nervous and anxious. And Catherine, you made me feel better in our conversation because you gave me a little hope. I want you to know that. I'm so glad because that's what we need to fix this thing. We need rational hope uh, informed by a full understanding of just how bad this thing really is, but recognizing that our future really is in our hands and the choices that we make today will have a huge impact and make a tremendous difference on the future of civilization as we know it and every living thing on this planet. Be sure to listen to my conversation with Catherine Hayhoe and she gives us real solutions. Next time, on Clear and Vivid.